Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Padgett here and on this week's podcast I'm interviewing Steph Geisberler, the designer behind the NBC logo. But before we jump into that I want to thank FreshBooks who have sponsored this podcast. When you work as a designer you want to look professional and be really organized and FreshBooks can help with this by allowing you to create branded invoices quickly, keep track of your expenses, create reports and more. I recommend that you try it out for yourself and you can do that with a free 30-day trial and it's one of those where you don't need to enter any credit card details. So to sign up and to claim that free trial just head to freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek and make sure to enter logo geek in the how did you hear about us section. So if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you'll likely be aware that I'm a big fan of the design agency Chimaev and Geismar and Haviv. I've had the amazing Tom Geismar on the podcast as well as uh, Saggy Haviv. So recently I finally got my hands on the incredible book that they released a few years back with standards manual called Identity, uh, which is a big thick book showcasing a lot of the incredible logo designs that the agency's done over the last 50 years or more. So I was flicking through this book, admiring and appreciating uh, every piece of uh, work in the book. It's really amazing. And I got to the now famous NBC logo, which is the multicolored peacock. And I was surprised to see under the image that it mentioned that it had been designed by Steph Geisberler, uh, which is a name I, I hadn't previously heard of. I always assumed that it was either Tom or Ivan that worked on that particular logo. So I was obviously super keen to learn more about Steph as uh, the NBC logo is one of my favorites from the agency. Uh, so with the book still open in front of me, I grabbed my phone did a Google search. I found Steph's website and uh, I I realized that he'd actually done so many incredible logos over the years. And I I discovered that he'd actually been working uh, with Tom and Ivan for over 30 years. He was uh, previously a college professor and he also won the AIGA Lifetime Achievement Award. So I do hope that there's a few people in the audience that will already be aware of uh, Steph. This is an individual that has grown up with, known and been friends with some of the real grades, those who we all see as as gods of the design industry. So the uh, likes of Paul Rand, Milton Glaser, Sal Bass and so on. This is also the individual that actually hired Sagi Haviv out of university. And, and Sagi is now someone that I personally would deem as one of the most Uh, famous names in the industry today. So I I decided to contact Steph and see if he'd be open to being a guest on the podcast. Uh, I honestly didn't expect a a reply, but he kindly responded uh, quickly and agreed to come on. This is quite an incredible interview and I'm very honored to have had the opportunity to ask questions and I, I'm so grateful it, it was recorded so that I, I could listen back again and also share this with you too. In this interview, we discover how Steph became a professor early on in his career, how he was hired by Tom Geismar and Ivan Chmayev, how he went about working on some well-known logo designs, including the NBC Peacock and the Time Warner logo, and how he eventually went on to build CNG Partners and eventually his own agency, which he still operates to this very day. This is a really special interview, and I hope you will enjoy it as much as I have. So I'm honored to introduce you to Steph Geisberler. I've been uh, reading through loads of interviews with you and uh, I actually found out really early on in your career um, and this would have been after you did your studies and after you had your first job which was in in a pharmaceutical company Right. really early on in your career and if I worked out right you would have been in your late 20s Uh, you actually 
taught as an associate professor at Philadelphia College of Art. Right. Uh, how did you manage to get such a uh, a huge opportunity when you were so young? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, first of all, I was uh, 25. So it was... Yeah, very young. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty young, yes. It is certainly young to, uh, for teaching. Uh, in fact, uh, Paul Rand once said uh, in the early days, he said, you have no business teaching at your age. <laughs> he actually said that to you. <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, anyway, I mean, how did I get there? Um, uh, simple enough. I was working at Geigy at the time and uh, my former uh, school mate, uh, Ken Hebert, came to, um, to Switzerland to ask me, I, I graduated with him, you know, mm -hmm. a couple years before, four years before. And uh, he came and asked me whether I would consider coming over and help him teach because he had just been elected from Carnegie Mellon to teach at Philadelphia College of Art and be and take over the the, the chairmanship or the, uh, the head of the department position and uh, so, so he was he would have been young as well i guess he was 25 as well no he was 10 years older than me right okay in, in fact okay. everybody in in my class was pretty much 10 years older than me so i got very early <laughs> into graphic <laughs> design and stayed there forever <laughs> um yeah uh so he he asked me uh whether i would come over to the states and you know i was just three and a half years or whatever at Geigy and I had a, a fabulous life. Everything worked well. I did good work apparently. Um, and I got some awards and, and, and all kinds of stuff very early on. And so I said, so why not? You know, the United States, uh, was always, uh, alluring <laughs> in a way. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I put stuff in storage and all that. And, uh, I had just, married and had my first kid so um he was only two months old in fact when we came to philadelphia and so there was a lot of things coming together at, at an early age as you can tell yeah that would have been a very busy time i've got a little one myself she's uh just over one year old so i can imagine that was uh tough at that yes. time yeah we, we just um uh, just about packed a couple of diapers and an apple. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I understand you were teaching at that time. Yes. And I read that you was also doing uh, freelance graphic design work for a number of different companies. That's right. Uh, how was you juggling all of that at that time? Because that, that seems like an awful lot to do, uh, especially if you had a two-month-old as well. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I was energetic and uh, and really involved and wanted to practice. I didn't want to just teach. You know, I'm certainly not yeah. an academic. And uh, so I, I uh, you know, I managed. I mean, it was not... Uh, it was not overwhelming amount of work. I, I was uh, just doing whatever I could um, in in those years, and uh, and I had upstairs in the in the attic. I had my studio, and I did a lot of so hands on work. I mean, obviously, this way before computers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and and I worked for Murphy Levy Berman. Uh, you know, this is Richard Saul Berman, the guy who started TED Conference. Uh, and TED Talk and all those uh, things. Mm. And he uh, had an architecture office together with uh, Alan Murphy and, and Le um, Murphy Levy Berman is what it was called the architecture office. And uh, he asked me to help him with some graphic design uh, stuff in the architecture office. So that's where I freelanced. And uh, we did uh, some booklets together for MIT and... Um, uh, book, books on, on urban planning and, and all kinds of things uh, he was involved in. Uh, and I illustrated everything and I also started to write a little and, and so on. Um, I always had an affinity or not, not just an affinity, but uh, I really um, liked architecture as an, an art form as well as a profession. My father was an architect before... Uh, or learned to be an architect before he became the calling to uh, be a Methodist minister. <laughs> and my grandfather was an architect on mother's side. Um, 
and uh, so architecture was always sort of in my blood and 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 i guess um you know i i like the the whole area of of thinking in terms of space and and uh that sort of thing so anyway so that was one uh freelance job and and i had i was with murphy levy berman for uh i would say three years at least if not more um at the same time i also started to freelance for george nelson in new york but this was on a, a sort of a, a, a he gave me little projects and uh, i commuted back and forth from philadelphia to new york uh to show him stuff uh that that didn't last that long but he was working on barney's new york at the time strangely enough a, a logo i was very involved with later on and um and I did some promotion for that and, and so on. But anyway, other than that, I had some other little freelance things going on. But uh, those were the, the more imposed, important ones. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then I understand um, uh, if, if I got this right, in about 1973, you then spent a year designing uh, corporate identity systems at uh ADP. That's right. And um, I read that you had this office with a big tree in it, and uh, the ficus tree. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you you mentioned in this particular interview that I read that what you would do is you would come out and across the the road you could see in the windows, and that was another design firm that listeners will be aware of Chemayev and Geismar no right. Chemayev and Geismar and Haviv yeah. exactly can you tell us more about that time I'm because uh, that that's how I originally found out about you uh, as I said prior to hitting the record button I was reading the book Identity a huge fan of uh, Chemayev and Geismar and Haviv and, and that's how I came across you so I'd, I'd love to hear about that time how right. uh, how you used to come out and look across the uh, road by the way, uh, by the way, just to insert this, uh, there is a book called Designing, which unfortunately is no longer available. But it's a big fat book which has the whole uh, timeline in it. Uh, I'm Ivan Chermayev, Tom Geismar, and myself are the authors, and uh, oh, wow. it's the whole timeline from like 1957 when uh, Brown, John Chermayev, and Geismar, uh, or Brown, John hired Chermayev and Geismar. Um, and then it became Brown John Tremayf and Geismar. Brown Brown John, you must you may be familiar with. He's uh, a, a British guy, um, and uh, Robert Brown John, and uh, he hired the two of them and started in '57. And then he had a, a drug problem, and uh, actually, then did the early um, James Bond openers, you know. Mm. Um, mm. That was Robert Brown, John, and went back to England because he get uh, he could get his um, his opioids there better, and uh, unfortunately, they died so uh, oh soon thereafter. And uh, you know, then Chermayev and Geismar continued in 1960 uh, as Chermayev and Geismar, and I came to it in '75. As, and and you know was was uh, hired. I mean, they they called me up <laughs> and said, "Would you uh, would you come and talk to us and all that?" Uh, when they knew that I was at the, at, at the Anspach Grossman Portugal, um, and uh, so at that time, sorry to interrupt. Was no. you already friends with them? Did they already know you uh, in no. person? No, no, I knew of them, of right. course. I knew very much of them, and they knew that I had been teaching in. Philadelphia, but we we really haven't had any connection otherwise. Mm, mm. So how did they come across you? Was it just because of the teaching and your name had become uh, familiar in that area? Uh, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Um, it, it, it was interesting because I think they were looking for uh, people, you know, and and uh, I, I guess my name came up as as somebody who just came to New York a year before and uh, and they you know were interested in in having me so uh, I, I couldn't tell you what inspired them in the first place but um, I guess I, I 
I didn't have a name yet. I mean, I was coming from Philadelphia, so I I did good work at the, at, at AGP uh, for one year, and that was it. You know, I did a lot of work, but um, I don't know how that whether that influenced anything. Mm-hmm. So they they called you up, and uh, I guess you went in for an interview. And yeah. and like I said, if if you had been looking across the street and uh, already been curious uh, uh, what uh, Tom and uh, Ivan had been doing, I guess you, you 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 must have been pretty excited for the opportunity. Oh no, kidding! I mean, I would <laughs> instantly. I know I took a pay cut, uh, but that that had no influence on me. Uh, you know, I, I really wanted to work for those two guys because where I, when I went to school in Switzerland, I mean, they were, I knew about Fletcher Forbes, Crosby and Gill, which, which uh, of course then became Pentagram. Uh, I was familiar with Wim Crowell in Amsterdam, Total Design. And I was familiar with Jermaine uh, and Geismar as, as being three sort of major firms I admired and all that so obviously i i was prepared <laughs> and wanted to uh, work for these guys or with these guys i should say mm, was, was there many uh graphic designers at that time because i mean this this is all pre-computers now the situation is different there are hundreds of thousands of uh people that can do graphic design because it's much more accessible was yes was 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 there very few um, people that had your skills at that time? I guess less so. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, but there were, you know, a lot of, um, there were a lot of designers in New York, you know, Rudy Deherrick and, and Lou Dorfman and, uh, Milton Glaser and the Seymour Quast and, you know, all these people which are still alive and, uh, and kicking. So, <laughs> um, you know, so that that was the environment that was in, and Massimo Vignelli, of course, and and all these guys were there, and I I was not yet a, a part of the international organization, the Alliance Graphique Internationale, um, at that point. But um, you know, soon thereafter, Tom and Ivan uh, suggested that I be a member. Mm. Mm. So when when you did join the uh, company was it just tom and ivan or were the yeah yeah it was tom and yeah. ivan and uh, john grady who was an architect mm-hmm. he, he did the architecture part of an exhibit kind of part uh but yeah it was mainly ivan and tom um uh, and 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 some employees i mean we, di- we did have employees um but they made me sort of an associate right away um and then you know Whatever it was, three years later, I, I became a partner. So, um, uh, you know, but there were other people there, people who, you know, uh, employees who, uh, some in architecture and some, of course, in graphic design. Um, and I, you know, hired quite a few there, but always with the consent, of course, of Ivan and Tom. Yeah. Um, so, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd love to uh, spend quite a bit of time going into uh, your logo design process um, because th- this this is a, a podcast about logo design, but uh, there's there's a couple of really major uh, projects that you've worked on that are uh, quite famous now. I don't know if they was at the time, but like the NBC uh, Peacock in particular, that that's one of yours that I'm most familiar with. Um, I, I think it might have been that piece that was in the book I mentioned that had your name next to it. And that, that's how I right. um, originally came across you. Yeah. So would you mind talking through yeah. how, how you would, how would you approach a project like that? And, and I, I'd love to go into the nitty gritty details if possible, because we've got plenty of time to, sure. to talk through this. So how, how would you approach that? There was a whole article about it uh, way, way back. And I forget uh, what the magazine was, maybe print or some, some, something like that uh, yeah. about how we went about it because uh, it was an inter- internal competition in a way you know we all Ivan Tom and I worked on uh, developing an identity and uh, and and the logo and 
I gravitated more to the idea of something we all know, like uh, birds and peacocks and, and things like that. Uh, and uh, Tom was much more into, um, um, well, maybe the leathering, you know, mm. to do something with NBC, perhaps, uh, like, you know, Paul Rand did the ABC. So, so, uh, so just, just, just for clarification, was there already some kind of, uh, Peacock reference at that time? Oh, yeah. Cause I've, I've seen, yeah, I've seen the evolution and I, I know that there was a, uh, uh, a previous version that was a peacock but had a lot more uh colors to it you you yeah. simplified that down is that correct well uh, let me let me just uh, straighten you out on that <laughs> yeah sure no because the, the the there was an earlier peacock and it was simply um uh it, it, i think her blue ballon was involved even but uh, i'm not quite sure about that uh but it it was not a logo for NBC. It was more a device by which they changed from black and white to color. It would, right. the tel television would say, the next program is brought to you in living colors. And it would go. And oh, wow. So it wasn't used as a logo. It was just no, something was, that they used in a marketing campaign. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, later on, they sort of, lots of people thought that it was the logo, but it was not. The logo was actually the snake, which was, the one line NBC with the C underneath the NB. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, so some of the information online is actually incorrect because I've seen these, um, uh, evolution, um, uh, you know, step by step of how they progressed. And, uh, right. I mean, I might be wrong. I might, uh, I, I might be, uh, recalling it incorrectly, but, uh, as far as I, as far as I remember, I, I believe that there are some articles that show a, an earlier version of that peacock, and and I, I assume that was the logo. But yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you well, for clearing that up. No, it, it wasn't. I mean, in fact, uh, uh, before we got into it, uh, it was Lippincott and Margulies design firm uh, did an N logo, and it was like a square sliced in and diagonally in half, and uh, which made the N. And there was a blue part and the red part. I don't know. I can't draw it for you <laughs> in the air. Um, <laughs> I can put an image in the show notes if I can find it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's in the in the whole uh, development in there. So many, uh, so many places it has been misinterpreted and and skipped. I mean, before that, there was microphones with NBC underneath and all kinds of other symbols. But anyway. So, so that device, um, when, when, when they arrived at the end by uh, Lippincott and Margulies, uh, Nebraska Television had the exact same logo done by a student. Mm. And so, uh, but NBC was already implementing it. And they said, um, you know, you, we give you equipment, we give you cameras, we give you money and whatever to Nebraska and you go and get another logo because we want to really play this one through. And so Nebraska buckled down and, uh, and got something else. Um, but the interesting thing was that of course they, they had paid like a hundred bucks to a student, uh, who came up with the same, uh, logo as L and M, uh, Letton Cotton Margulies, who at that point um, must have charged a hundred thousand easy, mm. right? So, <laughs> so it was quite a thing. But as soon as they owned it, as soon as NBC owned the mark, that N, they said we really don't like it. It's sharp. It looks like scalpels. It's we are an entertainment company. We are we we you know we're much softer and friendlier than that. Um, and they started to do something in-house, which was a disaster because they took the old uh, peacock and put it over the N. And so, so it was like a, a linear, the N was sort of a linear, like a coat hanger coming out of the, the, uh, the peacock. And it was very complex and confusing and people couldn't figure it out. And, and so that's when they came to us and uh, said, you know, can we, can we do something about it? And I immediately jumped on the idea of bringing the peacock back because all my logos pretty much are illustrative in some way or another. 
rather than abstract because I, I really believe in uh, communicating with something which people already know, you know, uh, I mean, something which they can relate to, um, you know, and I, Tom, Tom Geismar had done the Chase logo, Chase Manhattan Bank, uh, uh, mobile, uh, and, and all those kinds of things. Um, so it, I came out of that environment, uh, or, or my partners did. Um, so I really felt like I was much closer to illustration in a way than they were. Uh, or, I mean, I shouldn't say that about Ivan. Ivan was always doing collages and, and art in the, in the fine art sense. Um, so anyway, I mean, when, when we got the job, I really focused in on the idea of the peacock, wanted to refine it, wanted to simplify it. I thought it was an excellent, excellent symbol. It's a showbird. It ha- it's colorful. Uh, you know, speaking of the idea of converting black and white to color at that point, of course, it was mainly color television. Um, so that that's what got me there. And I simply reduced the amount of feathers. I, I took advantage of the shape uh, of the feathers to invert it in the middle to make the body of the peacock and then uh, actually added the beak, which goes into one mm-hmm. of the feathers. It's, it's it's a perfect logo. It's uh, oh, it's, it's one of my favorites, and uh, I mean, it's you you can see it's it's stood the test of time. It still looks uh, it still looks modern today. Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, it goes to show that you know when you simplify things down like that, it it just it works so well. Um, I'd love to ask about you. You mentioned you kind of had this internal. Uh, competition where it sounds like um all of you was working on the same project what were some of the other ideas that was coming up at that time well like i said uh, i mean obviously the the lettering nbc yeah which by the way we also created the new alphabet uh, it's, it's called the nbc futura which is uh, based on futura uh, typeface but uh, it was modified in order to be uh, more pointy and more uh, interesting as a as a logo for especially for the letters NBC. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you as well um, something that you said about using illustration within a logo to reference something that people know already. Would you mind elaborating on on what you mean by that? Because I, I know. Uh, within Chimayaf and Geismar and, and Javi, uh, I know that Tom's done a lot of very abstract kind of forms. So it is it is quite a, a contrasting um, look at identity. Right. Um, so would you mind expanding like your how how you see uh, logo design in in terms of uh, referencing things that you know already? Right. Um, I, I, let me go back quickly to uh, Richard Saul Verman, uh, who I think he quoted actually Louis Kahn, but um, he was saying that you on, you understand something only relative to something you already understand. Right. And that actually is sort of at the basis of what, what I'm talking about. Uh, I always felt that a symbol, it shouldn't tell a story, but it should relate to something you already know. In other words, something you equate with quality or color or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so, so that you don't start completely from, from nowhere. Now in just in, in, in defense of Tom Geismar's chase, for instance, he doesn't need any defense, but, um, you know, the, the, to make a symbol for a bank is is much different than yeah. a television company. You know, a bank can only you know you can only talk about security and 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 trust and and those kinds of words, which um, only in an abstract way can you actually uh, personify that or 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 make it make it legible to people mm-hmm. uh so mm-hmm. i you know i have <laughs> you know i've done a lot of uh, logos which include words because there was it was the best way to say it or the closest way to make a logo was to actually uh spell it out 
Um, but in, in this case, you know, it, it really needed a symbol which was very simple, uh, could be applied to anything from a microphone to a camera to animation, especially to any kind of uh, reproduction technique. I mean, the, the, the standards manual, which I did for NBC, um, I, sh I should say we did because I did it with quite a few employees together, um, you know, shows uh, all the divider pages were done in different printing techniques, like uh, engraving, uh, uh, silk screening, uh, um, uh, what should I say? Well, photography uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, foil stamping and blind embossing and all that. So all the divider pages in the manual, which is a, a beautiful big book, uh, already alluded to the fact that you can really use this symbol in many, many different ways with or without color in the smallest, simplest way, uh, in the biggest, uh, you know, facade kind of thing and signage and all that. So that was really my, my, my goal. And it's always been a goal in, in logo design is to keep it very simple and, um, you know, make it useful and uh, usable and also at the same time sort of more or less personify a company or an institute. I just want to take a short break to thank FreshBooks who have sponsored this episode. As creatives, we like to spend our time designing logos and brand identities, but a lot of us spend more time than we'd like doing admin work, like creating invoices, chasing payments, logging expenses. And that's where FreshBooks can help you. It's an accounting software designed for creative professionals that will save you time. For example, you can create branded, professional-looking invoices in as little as 30 seconds. You can set up credit card payments right from those invoices too, meaning that your clients can pay faster. And when it comes around to tax time, you can export out tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with an accountant really simple. Right now, I'm offering listeners of the Logo Geek podcast a free 30-day trial. To claim that, just head to freshbooks.com forward slash Logo Geek, making sure to enter Logo Geek in how did you hear about a section. Now let's get back to the interview. So in terms of uh, simplicity in logo design, uh, here today, there's loads of books and there's loads of resources, there's videos, there's loads of stuff on the internet, books that you can buy and so right. on. At that time, that approach to um, simplicity, was was that a standard thing that people would aim for to, to be very uh, simple or was that quite new at that time? It was quite new. It was quite new. I mean, we, we, you know, like I said, there were, you know, other television companies around. I mean, especially those three, which at the time existed, CBS, ABC and NBC. And CBS had that wonderful eye, um, you know, as a symbol. And that was much uh, revered also. And it was, it happened more or less at the same time, maybe no, it, it happened before the NBC Peacock. But anyway, so some of these logos became very uh, famous because of their simplicity and because there were some, you know, big clients which uh, where you saw it much more often. It became more, more uh, obvious. So you know, I mean, even even you know, the Chase Manhattan logo was done in 1960. And, and the peacock I designed in 79, it didn't get on the air until 1986. So, yeah, I mean, there was a, a mo it was a movement. It, it really was simplicity uh, became more and more uh, important, you know, simplicity in typography, for instance, you know, I, uh, obviously I grew up with Helvetica. Helvetica means Switzerland in Latin. Um, Helvetia. And, uh, you know, so that was very much part of my upbringing, that simplicity of typography uh, universe. Uh, Adrian Frudiger in Paris, uh, who is a Swiss, 
but worked in Paris, uh, started Universe, which was the only typeface we used at Geige, for instance. It was very sans serif, very clean, very crisp, uh, had a lot of variations to it in terms of slants and weight and and condensing and, and all that. Mm-hmm. So those... Um... So those simple, very simple ideas, when it came around to sharing these with the client, presenting them to the client, I assume that what you would have been presenting would have been quite new in terms of what they what they uh, saw. Was is, is there any interesting stories that you could share when it comes around to presenting that work and how it was, uh, how the client reacted to it? Well, uh, I mean, everything comes with uh, reason and and uh, examples of why things in the past have been uh, not in the past, but why uh, why people why logos are more um, acceptable um, if they're simpler. And and obviously, we always showed whenever we presented the logo, we presented it immediately applied to all kinds of things, you know, including business card and letterhead and, and a sign perhaps, and, uh, you know, on a vehicle and, you know, I mean, you never show a logo naked, you know, that, that doesn't make any sense. You have to immediately show the client how it's going to be used, what it's going to look like and all that. Um, there's a very famous thing about Saul Bass, uh, and his, uh, um, logo for bell bell telephone um and all that so uh but anyway yeah um, i in terms of that bell uh logo uh, on youtube uh for listeners uh that haven't seen this there is actually a video that salbas put together to present that logo and uh that video is uh fantastic that i mean that must have cost an absolute fortune to put together at that time but it's uh even though it's i don't know when that's from but uh you know it's, it could be like 60 years old or more well, but you can learn so much from that video alone it's fascinating to watch yeah so bass was also a filmmaker so uh, he did it himself yeah yeah right? so he had the benefit of those skills <laughs> yeah um also a very good friend unfortunately doesn't long does no longer live um mm. but i was always very friendly with him so Mm, mm. So you know him and uh, Paul Rand. Oh, and, of course, of course. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I grew up with these people. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Was there any lessons that you learned from them, or is it just simply because you were all uh, collectively learning from the same sources? Yes, and we also were on the same page somehow. I mean, we we all believed pretty much in the same idea of simplicity and communication. In the, in the simplest, straightforwardest way, to to take uh, decoration out of out of the equation, you know, uh, it was not it it, ma- it had to make sense rather than just look good, you know. Um, mm-hmm. th- th- that I think, and I'm I'm saying, of course, uh, you know, that uh, a logo should also look good, <laughs> literally. Yeah. Uh, not to take that away, but that's the last thing. If it performs, if it works, if it makes sense, that all comes first. You know, it, it really has to be uh, manageable and 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 really um, rally people behind it. You know, to to support it. I mean, there's a, a, a famous thing, and I, sorry to sort of give you a little... Uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. This is all good. It's good. Yeah. It's caring. <laughs> There's a famous situation where um, Paul Rand did this beautiful logo for Enron. You must have heard about that. Yes, uh, and, yeah. You know, it was an excellent, excellent mark and beautiful logo. But then Enron behaved very badly uh, and really did a lot of things on the, very, very corrupt under the table and what have you. And before you knew it, this symbol stood for corporate cor- uh, corporate corruption rather than for Enron, the beautiful company. So, uh, you know, you can see how a logo actually absorbs the behavior or what people associate with the company, the quality, the whatever, the, the honesty, the, all that. Uh, the, the, the logo absorbs all that and then the people make it what it, 
becomes in other words. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's yeah. fascinating. I, d- I know, um, I don't know who coined the uh, term. I've I've heard Michael Beirut say this, but a uh, logo is an empty vessel and it can um, absorb all of those meanings. So the Enron example, is that one of the uh, first that kind of absorbed all of the negativity uh, with it? Well, uh, no, 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 no. There were many more before. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, sure. But the, uh, the you know, it, because it was big and it was, uh, you know, people knew it. And it was done by a very famous designer. That's why I, that's why I use it as an example because yeah. you know nobody had anything bad to say about the logo. But then again, we all understood at that point that a logo does not make a company. You know, it is the other way around. I mean, the company and the quality and and the product they produce uh, is equated with the logo. So, anyways, all we can do is is reflect that as much as possible, you know. But, of course, uh, Paul Rand did not know that they were going off the deep end there at Enron when he designed it, you know. Mm-hmm. You guys kind of uh, pioneered uh, modern-day logo design <laughs> because uh, uh, everything that you you mentioned about the uh, simplicity and uh, um, a lot of the rules that are in, I mean, there, there are no rules really, but a lot of the principles that are in the modern day books, it's all from that same generation, all from the same uh, group of people. It's, uh, you know, the the group of people that uh, like I, I look up to and uh, learn from. And uh, it's amazing to think that that, uh, that group of people, all of the group of people that, that you knew are all the people that were kind of... Uh, paving the way for how things would be from there on. <laughs> right, right. Well, you have to also understand that uh, Tom and Ivan uh, had Paul Rand as a, as a teacher. Wow. I wasn't yeah. aware of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Rand was teaching at Yale and, uh, and uh, Tom came from Brown University and, and Ivan was already at Yale. Um, they uh, got to know each other there. Mm. And, you know, they had other, other people like Herbert Mather and, and, you know, all kinds of really good, good teachers there at the time. Mm. Mm. So you, you was at uh, Chamayaf and Geismar and Javi for 30 years, yes. um, which is a, it's a long time. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm 36, so it's, it's the, pretty much the, it would be the equivalent of almost my entire life. So it's a long time. Were there any other interesting pro- uh, projects or or things that came up that that you would be interested in talking about from that time. Well, while we're at on logos, obviously the Time Warner thing uh, mm. was a, a major thing for me uh, because uh, it 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 was sort of the epitome of abstracting, you know, an eye and an ear, um, in a way. Because I mean, it also was again it was a competition within the company. We all worked on different things uh, uh, Tom was working on TWs and and Ivan was thinking on, on, in other terms and so we we all compared notes and and looked at each other's sketches and had pinups and all that and somehow my eye and ear surfaced as being the most unique or the most uh, appropriate at the same time uh, as as a as a logo and so you know, as we always did, whenever the best thing surfaced, you know, we put our combined efforts behind it to make it make it work and 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 you know mm. and show it as as our best version. But we did show other versions. I mean, we we did show TWs and things like that. But then the client really understood it um, at the time. Uh, the CEO really understood what we meant by that of merging Time Inc., which is a journalistic company, with Warner Communications, which was all about uh, movies and videos and and things like that. So uh, in my mind, the combination of of these two companies, which actually didn't have much in common otherwise, uh, was to find something which would which they both had in common, 
and bo both their products were seen and heard, you know, like newspapers and movies and all that was, was uh, sort of the combination of, of what I was uh, looking for. And that, that's how the eye and ear somehow came about um, to, to kind, kind try to combine that, something which hadn't been done before. And make it at the same time sort of a spiral, you know, going into the center and all that. Yeah, it's it's a it's another incredible uh, logo. It's it's one of my uh, favorites from you. Um, again, so you you mentioned that uh, you so you came up with the idea, and uh, you mentioned that everyone kind of got on board to uh, come to the best solution. How how did that work? Was it just a case of everybody drawing different variants of it and and sharing them? And, and like, how long how long did you did you spend on that? Because um, oh. I, I, I yeah, I want to kind of put stress on this because I sketch in a sketchbook. Sometimes I come up with an idea and then I do lots of different variants of it. So I'd love to hear how uh, you guys was approaching that to to come up with oh, the same way, the same way, sketching and sketching and doodling. Um, on, on the back of envelopes, as we all used to say, and uh, and everywhere else, um, nobody had like uh, beautiful sketchbooks like uh, Michael Beirut <laughs> keeps <laughs> a library of. Um, but anyway, um, no, we we sketched everywhere we could, and I, we, like I said, we had we used to have pinups where we pinned up our latest versions and stuff, and then we narrow it down and say, well, this one really looks like it could be something. And of course I tried end, endless variations of weight and, and sick, thickness. And uh, this was exactly at the time when uh, computers were already integrated in our office. And we tried like hell to do the spiral with, uh, with the curves and with the, the levers and, and all that on the computer and we just did not succeed. I mean, there were some people who really were good at it and they just did not succeed. So I finally just made a, a photostat of it, took it home and painted over it. I literally did it by hand and then we scanned that in and that then became the logo. So um, there, there's another, uh, another example of, I mean, nowadays I could do this by computer, but uh, the the hand, it, you know, the whole thing was not a mathematical situation. It's yeah. more emotional yeah. than anything else, um, and uh, so that that led me to actually do it by hand. It it just seemed to be the right way to go. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. it's great to think that um, you know this uh, collaboration where the uh, logos being sketched on paper and then pinned up. I know that um, Chamaya from Guys and Happy still do this exact same thing and uh, uh, put the work up so that everybody can see it and narrow it down. And I think um, I think moving brands do something uh, similar. Um, I was lucky enough to get a, like a tour of their studio a, a number of years back, and uh, they have these big boards. Uh, so that they can put things up and take them down. Because apparently they they sometimes have clients coming in and they've got stuff under NDA, so they have to take it down. Right. Um, but, but that's how they do it. And uh, I, I love that that's yeah, we, we, still... We switched, we switched to the boards later on because, <laughs> you know, with multiple clients, you don't want to keep it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With lots going on. Stuff, you know, and, and other things had to be pinned up. But there is actually um, a, a video of... Um, a CBS Sunday morning uh, right. thing, which I, which, which I arranged and, or, or they asked me whether I would talk about logo design and we did uh, at C&G Partners. I don't know whether you ever saw that. Uh, I haven't seen that. Is that on, is that on YouTube or is, is that anywhere online? I don't online? know if it's on YouTube, but I can certainly send it to you. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I'd, I'd absolutely love to see that, definitely. And uh, what I can do is I can put it in the show notes for this episode. Yeah. Uh, so anyone listening can also watch that. But yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely love to see that. Thank yeah. you. I mean, it was the, the CBS Sunday morning uh, thing, which is a, a routine uh, uh, you know, with different episodes, and this happened to be uh, the Sunday morning thing on money. And they were saying, you know, why don't you do a, a logo on, on 
CBS Sunday Morning Money issue, and uh, and that's what we did. But I, I'm I'm I'm, prom- I'm promising something which I'm not sure <laughs> I have uh, other than on disc. Um, if you have it, yeah. If 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 you have it, great. If you don't, you know, don't don't stress over it. I don't <laughs> don't worry. But I would love to see that, and yeah, I'm sure no, people mean, listening to this, you know, it, it just in a, in a very simple way, it shows. Uh, also that we came up with three solutions um, and uh, and then uh, they asked the viewership uh, of, of that TV thing to vote on it and it turned out that they all voted for mine because mine was probably the most clearest and most understandable. Uh, CBS Sunday Morning has a, a, a sun for a logo uh, and in fact they showed very different suns every Sunday morning, but um, uh, I, I simply replaced the word money, the O with the with the sun. So uh, you know, it was a very very straightforward thing, rather than dollar signs and and things like that. The other things which we came up with, but um, but that, that was an example of just you know the, the most simple. And I I could have I, I knew exactly what the people would vote for because it was something they would understand, something they equated with the two things, the money and, and that, uh, that Sunday morning uh, show. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I, I want to go back to uh, 2005 and uh, this is when the founding partners of Chimayaf and Guy's Marb split off to form a small creative studio and and you along with the other partners uh became to my and guys my partners yes what was the reason why they made that change and and what did it mean to become okay. a, a partner like that was, was you was you still involved in some way or was you uh no I, more it, from an outside it was a simple thing i think we We've grown at that point to about, I'm sorry about the noise. No, don't worry. I yeah. should be able to filter out, hopefully. Yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> don't worry. It sounds like someone's cutting their lawn or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> don't worry. Um, anyway, uh, to, to go back. Uh, we we have grown to almost 40 people or, you know, 35 right. or something like that um, as a company. And uh, uh, Ivan and Tom decided that they didn't really want to get bigger and they wanted in fact to reduce and just be the two of them again and more or less go back to the beginning uh, just doing uh, just the two of them with maybe an assistant each you know and and that was the the reason uh, they did that and uh, I was sort of uh, left holding the bag with uh, 22 people uh, and the others were not partners. Uh, the Trump and Alger and Keith Helmetag and, and Emma Frigerio were not partners yet. They were um, they were um, associates. Right. Okay? So when I had to make a decision, either to go on my own or to just get lost or whatever, uh, <laughs> I I talked to them and I said, look, if 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 we make a new partnership and I, I invited them to become partners, uh, let's start uh, a new company. But in order for people to remind, remember us, I think we should not come up with a whole new name. We should actually, you know, be, people knew us as C&G or Steph from C&G or Keith from C&G, you know, that kind of thing. So we said, why not make it C&G Partners? Because that's what we all uh, were. I mean, I, I was the only partner, but <laughs> nevertheless, we were all part of uh, CNG. And and so I was a little afraid to just start a whole new thing with a new name and and new place and all that. I mean, it was a little bit of a frantic situation there um, of trying to form a new company. And literally, uh, we moved with twenty two people uh who all demanded of course a salary <laughs> and a new place and a friend of mine uh, jim sebastian had just evacuated a 
a design office and it was on the market. In fact, uh, when, when we talked to each other on the phone, I mean, it was another one of those crazy situations where he, he had just closed his office and wanted to move on. And I talked to him and, and he said, so what's going on over there? And I said, well, you know, it looks like I'm going to be, uh, looking for a place. And he said, well, what about mine? I just put it back on the market today. And I said, just hold on, Jim. I um, <laughs> hopped in a cab, went down there, looked at it and said, this is it. Uh, I'll take it. You know, he was already, uh, organized as a design studio. It had phones. It had, uh, some, some computer connections and all that. Um, so that, that was, that was a very lucky situation. And then uh, of course I put my own money in it and, uh, and, uh, little did I have at the time, <laughs> but, um, uh, and, and the others pitched in too, and they didn't, you know, the, the partners didn't take salary for the first three months or whatever, whatever it was. And, and so, you know, we wiggled through, in fact, we, we left on a Thursday, uh, and on the Monday we were in business in a new place <laughs> because we had some clients, which we could tie over, which, which literally helped us to sort of reorganize and, and not lose, uh, you know, not lose any income. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating way to, um, approach the, um, uh, situation. Cause if I understand right, Tom and Ivan basically went off on their own and obviously they owned the Chamaya from Guy's Ma name, you know, it's got their, their name on it, but they own the company. So the partners, even though you used their name, was that a whole separate business that was pretty much nothing to do with Tom and Ivan? It was, it, that was under your, it was basically your business yes. using their name. It was our business. Yes. Yes. With which clients, which we took with us, of course. Uh, by the way, I forgot to say the only person which uh, I had hired uh, shortly before was Sagi Haviv. And the only person who Ivan and Tom wanted to keep was <laughs> okay. Because they wow. realized that they needed somebody young to, to, you know, to do the conversion on their part. I mean, just to the, the two of them, uh, uh, working alone was not, no longer possible, you know, because both of them were not very versed with the computer and, you know, they, they just needed employees. They needed people to work with them. And so Sagi, who I had hired out of Cooper Union um, was the perfect choice, and so they they just you know threw some money at him, and he stayed. So yeah, yeah, today he is partner, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, people, listeners will uh, know of uh, Saki. Um, I've interviewed him in the past right. on the Very uh, podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of the. Uh, logo design space online uh he's recently released a, a training course and that 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 course is uh phenomenal and obviously yeah. that's that's lessons that he's learned from um uh yourself and and tom and uh ivan but it's uh i think people are going to be interested in this story would you would you mind talking through how you because i understand it was you that hired him uh uh saki uh, Haviv has been very open about the story he shared online in in a number of videos. I'd love to hear your side of that story. I think the audience will will be interested in that as well. Yeah, it's been a little bit muddled, and I, I, I just recently was quite upset about the situation that uh, you know on their website uh, there is no history, there is no anything of where anything came from and who did what or whatever. It, they're simply showing the peacock and, and everything else. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, I noticed that. <laughs> so that, that really irked me. And, you know, that, that was earlier a, a sort of a point of contention because especially between Ivan and me, because Ivan showed was, was publicized uh, all over the place and quite often with mine uh, and, and Tom's work, uh, under his name. And, you know, mm. um, Tom never, you know, he, like a good wife, he never complained. Mm. <laughs> so, and, and I did, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I didn't want to lose my entire life, uh, uh, under another name. And, and as you know yourself, as, as soon as 
something is publicized and republicized and repeated, it becomes fact, you know, and that's, that's what uh, grinds on me to this day is that people who didn't really know the story, they just simply assume that, you know, Ivan was everything, you know, Ivan did everything. Yeah. I, I would be honest with you. I assumed um, it was either Tom or Ivan that, that worked on that peacock. And it wasn't until I, I read in the book, it actually, it does say your name in the book. Um, so it is in there. Um, but if I didn't read that, I, I, I wouldn't have uh, realized. And uh, I mean, that's why I wanted to uh, speak to you. I yeah. wasn't sure if you would get back to me, but I was keen to um, in fact, uh, I, hear your side. In fact, I, uh, I uh, spoke to the New York Times about uh, when Ivan's obituary was published, and of course, all of these things were under his name, and uh, they actually did post the correction. You know, they they, mm. they understood that, you know, that it wasn't all his. Especially, you know, it just was yeah. his name. You know, his name was first. People sort of knew of him. His brother uh, is a famous architect. Uh, his father was a famous architect and scholar. Um, you know, so so the name was out there, you know, yeah. where Tom's and, and, and mine, obviously, coming from Europe, uh, were not nearly as familiar to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I, wherever I could, I, I tried to correct it. And it irked me the other day when I looked at their website uh, of uh, Jemayev Geismar and Haviv, um, of how, what, what they're showing and not mentioning anything at all of any kind. Mm. About mm. Well, hopefully, hopefully this podcast will help to um, provide some uh, clarity. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, that's why one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to you because I I, um, I made that assumption as well, and I'm sure a lot of people will. So it's good to get that clarity, and I, yeah. I absolutely love the stories that you've you shared with us so you know just going back to your story again so in 2011 uh which were would have been six years after you uh created the uh, partners that's when you founded your own um studio is is that when you kind of went off on your your own and yes. uh yes yeah. I, I i you know it it was also that the company sort of weird away from graphic design as their the, the core um, talent or the, <laughs> the core uh, activity uh, and got much more into exhibit and three-dimensional things and web design and all those kinds of things. And uh, more and more people sort of um, didn't come for us to us anymore uh, for graphic design or logo design or branding of any kind. Um, it, it was just too sparse to actually keep it going. And I, I thought at that point, uh, you know, that I should click out and, uh, and do my own thing. I was also, you know, a little older than everybody else. And, um, it was time, you know, yeah, yeah, time yeah. to do something else. And I, you know, I had, I mean, we got the presidential award and, and we got, you know, I got the AIGA medal and all that kind of stuff happened. Uh, and that, that CBA's broadcast was also out there. So I thought, you know, this, you know, it's coming to a certain point and, uh, yeah. you know, I would, would be better off without partners for a change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think this interview has been incredible. I mean, thank you for sharing all of the um, uh, stories, diving into your process. Um, I, it's, it's been fantastic. So I, I do hope that <laughs> the audience enjoy it as well. So thank you so well, much for I your hope time. So. I hope so. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I uh, muddled some things, but, um, you know, you, you do a good job with editing. Yeah, don't worry. I, I can tidy it up. So don't worry. It was fantastic. So, yeah. I mean, really, thank yeah. you. I, I, I really do appreciate um, you taking the, the time out of your day yeah. and cancelling your, your tennis um, <laughs> tennis lesson and uh, to, to do this. It's been, it's been amazing. So thank you so much. Yeah. So, uh, you know, graphic designers don't uh, retire. They just play tennis. <laughs> <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, do let me and Steph know by giving us a shout out on social media. I absolutely love to hear from you guys. So please, if you enjoyed this episode, 
uh, give me a shout out. I'd love to hear from you. Now, if you want to learn more about Steph, head over to his website, guysberla.com. Alternatively, go to the show notes for this episode where I'll link to that, his social profiles, links to any books and resources that we mentioned in the interview, as well as a full transcription of the conversation too. So to find the show notes for this episode, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash 86. If you're keen to discuss anything mentioned in this interview with me and almost 9,000 logo designers from around the world, join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. It's totally free to join and it's very active. So if you have any questions, want any feedback or anything, it's one of the best places to go for that. So to find that, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash community. So that is it for this week, but I'll see you the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.